Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping, and I will be your host. Joining me on today's show, I have two guests. Mike Christofferson and Pedro Della Torre. These two guys put on a, well, they're continuing to do so, but they put on a fantastic course uh, that I was lucky enough to attend uh, in February in Las Vegas uh, that centers around EEPROM and computer board level repair, cloning, some diagnosis, uh, using tools, but it's all about that stuff inside the computer module that a lot of times is a mystery. A lot of times we don't really know what's going on in there or it gets to that point. We're like, well, this module's junk. Got to throw it away. Or this module's a one-time deal. You got to get a brand new one. Well, do you? Is there another option? Is there a workaround? Well, in a lot of cases, (laughs) there definitely is. And these are the two guys that can show you how to do it. So the reason I had them join me on the show today is talk all about their class uh, that they're presenting all over the country. Uh, They're going from West Coast to East Coast. They've got a number of dates. Check the show notes, listen to what they have to say. Uh, We'll get you all the details if you're interested in attending one of these classes. But either way, uh, it's a great conversation. Uh, Two really, really smart guys. So I'm very lucky to have them on the show today. Let's jump into the interview. Well, good morning, guys. How's it going? Good. Good, good, good. How are you, Sean? Uh, I'm doing very well. I am uh, really happy to have you both here. Uh, finally uh, made it work with all our schedules. Uh, I know yeah. you guys are super busy, so I appreciate you taking the time. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for inviting us. Definitely, definitely. Um, so we're going to talk about your guys' EEPROM class uh, that I was lucky enough to attend last month or in February in Las Vegas and it was awesome. And we'll, we'll talk all about the class. Um, one thing I was curious about though is, and, and we'll, we'll talk the details of the class, but what led you to, um, you know, creating, writing this class and, and maybe also along with that, obtaining the knowledge in the first place for all of this stuff. I mean, this is kind of challenging information to track down, but you guys did a pretty good job, I would say, of getting it together and presenting it. What brought you to that point? Do you want me to go first? Yeah, definitely. You're, it's, <laughs> it's your baby, so definitely. <laughs> okay. So for me, it was uh, the frustration seeing uh, companies, OEMs like BMW and GM start to make modules that could not be reprogrammed using factory software. That was really the the genesis to, to me searching this out and, and figuring out how we can get around those uh, roadblocks. 
especially with GM, uh, I was seeing these modules being sold for fifty to seventy-five dollars. The, the used modules, and I wondered why, and then tried to program one, and then I knew why because they'll never get through the security. They'll they they just don't work, and uh, that's that's what kind of got me going on it. And then uh, all everyone that's in the pro. Hey everybody, what's going on? Why am I talking to you in the middle of an interview? Well, we had a Zoom hiccup. Uh, you know, technology is awesome and it's a great thing. I don't have to deal with technology on a day-to-day basis in my job. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the way it goes. Anyways, you missed some of Mike's description here and a little bit of Pedro's as well, which is a huge bummer because uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed what they had to say. But Here's the deal. While we're waiting for them to catch up and Zoom to figure out what's going on, um, if you want to hear the rest of it, I just encourage you, go take their class. Get it right from the source. You can ask them, what did I miss in that podcast when uh, Sean's technology failed him? And uh, they'll they'll tell you one-on-one in person. But with that being said, I think we're about ready to jump back in. And uh, Pedro was in the middle of him <laughs> explaining uh, the answer to the question. Got into a, a friend of mine, Tommy, which I think he's been a guest on your show a few times, had uh, mentioned to me a class in South Carolina, uh, South Dakota, um, where the gentleman, Mike Christofferson, was going to be hosting an EPROM class. And I'm like, I've never seen publicly somebody say they're going to teach EPROM. Uh, it's something that it's very difficult to get your hands on. It's hard to get answers on. And here's Mike willing to uh, do, I think at the beginning, it was a three or four day class. And uh, I mean, I jumped on it. I was really excited to go there and uh, there was no turning back after that. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, um, it's tough to find, find this stuff. Cause I, you know, I'd done a little bit of searching prior to hearing about you guys class and I mean, you kind of have to teach yourself, right? Um, yeah. So why don't we get into what the the class actually consists of? You can kind of cover some topics and then we can expand off of that. Um, what's the what's the general layout? As as we do this, um, me, me and Mike had agreed, we definitely want to have a very... Uh, open mind. We, we don't want to make people feel uncomfortable coming in. Uh, you know, that was something that we, we both kind of just naturally do. We want somebody to come in and ask all the questions that they want. Um, another point of this was we want to teach them routines and tooling and things that, that can be done repetitively, repetitively successfully, um, but also understand what they're doing. So a lot of the class revolves around actually understanding these memory devices that you're going to be uh, interrogating. Uh, the differences between different EEPROM families, uh, describing their their panel uh, descriptions. That way, if you run into a problem at home or on a job, you can at least try to troubleshoot it instead of just hitting a roadblock and not understanding what could have possibly gone wrong. So now if you understand that you have something that has write protection, or if you have like a 93 family chip that you can't successfully read a circuit because it might be a difficult task to remove it, it might be organized as an 8-bit read instead of a 16-bit. And all of these things and having the knowledge and how to troubleshoot that uh, will usually yield uh, a lot of success uh, in, in fixing a problem you're encountering. Uh, you know, Mike brings a lot of experience to the table, a lot. 
um, you know, I can usually toss a car at him and as a question, he'll tell me what tool will do it. Uh, and I'm going through those motions. I'm trying to learn all the fine details through things, but man, it, it's, he, he's a guy to go to. He, he's, he's put a lot of time into this, a lot of hours, a lot of time. Um, and that's worth a lot. And then, and, and he definitely, uh, does a great job in sharing that with the students. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things. I mean, even if you didn't, you know, you went to the class, you got this knowledge and you're not, you know, doing the board repair, going in for the EPROM stuff, just knowing how it works at the board level, I think is valuable information for diagnosing a problem, right? We get to that module, get to that box, and then who knows what's going on inside of there. We'll just replace it because I think something's wrong. But if you have an idea of what's actually happening, on the board. Yeah. I think that alone is, is so valuable to technicians uh, today. It is. I remember when I was in uh, UTI, uh, one of my electronics teachers, uh, I think I still remember his name, Mr. Chapman. He really, really did something where he talked about, it's just on and off switches and zeros and ones. And of course that's an extreme simplification, but when you're forced to just understand it's just a bunch of on and off signals that can represent a zero and one, and, and you kind of start following the map, if you may, you try to tie it all together and, and rationalize what's going on inside. And that always stuck to me, try to simplify it and try to find a simple way to observe a problem. You know, as technicians, um, we're not engineers, but sometimes it, we try to get as close as possible to an understanding of what they're doing and why. And understanding problems that might be uh, from a module output or input that, you know, garbage in, garbage out type of deal. And knowing what could possibly obstruct that information is so, so valuable. So so you make a great point. Uh, understanding what's inside a module, you know, once we get into module repairs and maybe transistors, uh, that in itself, even if you don't like to manipulate memory, it is a great benefit. Yeah. <laughs> working on my soldering skills too. That was one of the other things that the, the class was definitely good for. Um, cause you do quite a bit of it in the preparation and then at the actual class too. And, um, I think everybody in this field, uh, could stand to improve their skills there. Again, even if you're not doing board level stuff, uh, you're going to be soldering something at some point. So, yeah, it was interesting to me. Uh, the first class we did, I had only planned on spending an hour in one of our projects building the uh, the the cables to hook up to the IO terminal devices, and uh, it took us about four hours to get everybody all through it. And I was really surprised, you know, all these uh, seasoned technicians. But I think when we typically will solder a wire as technicians, uh, it's a it's a larger wire. Uh, we can use a lot more heat, a bigger soldering iron, and uh, it's just a little bit different than when you're trying to solder to a smaller pin. Yeah, the um, the visor that you guys sent, uh, that thing's super handy. Um, you know, it flips down, it's got a light, and it's got two levels of magnification. And um, as as we all get older, that is that is nice to have, even if you're not working on a computer board. But uh, I wanted to touch on that is that, you know, you sign up for this class. It's not just what you do at the actual event, but you send some stuff out beforehand, right? Well, we had been doing that, but uh, you are one of two people that actually completed the project at home. 
most uh, technicians have been really busy, I guess. And uh, so we're not currently doing that. Uh, gotcha. We do, we do have some other projects. We do still uh, send out the, uh, the Electude and our own learning system so guys can get familiar before they come, but we don't send the kits out any longer. What is, what is the Electude? So the Electude system is a learning management system. It's used in a lot of the technical schools. And it helps them, uh, the technician, uh, understand elect- electrical principles, uh, how how can and uh, and networks work. Uh, we also have our own content. So if if someone wanted to source the product, they could actually build the cable. They could use the programming devices. Uh, they could do all the same things we sent out in the kits, but they would kind of be on their own to to uh, obtain those parts cool so yeah you can do do some prep work and uh yeah that was that was definitely handy leading up to the class to to have that information and get a little yeah, like bit when of we, hands on when we got in class um you know it definitely after that first one that we had done it uh it, it really showed that sometimes as technicians and focusing on a lot of the motions in life uh we might get away from the basics so as we're trying to hook up to these board boards and perform some board level testing, sometimes these basics get away from a lot of techs. So, so having this elected program available uh, for somebody to complete before they come in, it kind of refreshes them, sharpens them up. So we start going, discussing a can circuit or troubleshooting a board that we might be attempting to repair in class. Uh, they're more familiar with some uh, meter settings and, you know, setting the meter to like a diode setting instead of continuity setting and, and looking at a voltage drop and, and, and all those kinds of things. Um, and they're very important. Uh, you know, sometimes you get into these motions of life and you just kind of forget about the basics of the tech, uh, which is totally understandable. So that's we, we put this out there to give them the best chance when they come into class to get familiar with everything before they get their hands dirty. Definitely. So this is the majority of the time was hands-on for this class. And I mean, the first day was 12 hour class, which seems like a long time up front, but I mean, honestly, it just flew by because we were actually working with these components the majority of the time. Um, I, I definitely enjoyed that. I think most people in this trade enjoy the, the hands-on aspects of things, but is that difficult to manage as an instructor? doing all you got you got you know 10 guys with different uh tools and different things going on and so many different things can happen and go wrong what, what's that like trying to run the class it's a it's definitely a challenge uh that's uh you know early on i realized if we're going to have any kind of number of people in in the class at a time i was going to need some help and that's why uh, i partnered with pedro he brings a lot to the to the plate. He's a, a lot more detail oriented when it comes to understanding the components and what they do. That's really important to him, and I think that's a good blend because I'm kind of a from the hip kind of guy. So uh, having that blend of both of us is is important in the class. And uh, having two people, if we have ten students and two people, that kind of helps too. But it is hard to manage. Because you'll have one guy that's doing really good, and you'll go to another guy, and then the first guy has troubles, and then you're bouncing between them, and 
and everybody feels like they're being neglected, but you're really trying to help everybody out. And then you get stuck on a project and then the other guy's waiting for you still. And it's, uh, it's kind of hard to manage, but, uh, I think overall, everybody had a good time. Yeah, we, we ran into situations, which is real world. We're trying to set up a project for somebody and we might run into a technical problem with a computer or cable or the device we're using, and we're trying to troubleshoot it. Uh, it's very fun. And like you said, 12 hours sounds like a lot, but once we're like trying to go through our, our mental notes of projects we have set up for people, next next thing we know, the day's over. Uh, so, so it flies by. It's very entertaining. Um, so as And as we're troubleshooting these problems, I, I like to have the students near me so they can see the different steps we're going to take, the different things we're going to try, because that's real world. You know, we could stand in front of you all day and show you 20 different computers we did a service on. But if you didn't see the obstacles we had and how we trouble, troubleshoot those, um, you, you might not get the best out of the class. So when we're there, it's very real world. Things break. Things don't work. We told you, hey, I did this on a BMW module. Then you hook up to it. And for the life of us, it won't work. And we try different tools. So it, it, it's very neat. Yeah, I really enjoy that part of it. it. It makes it, it humanizes everything and shows the errors that are possible once you're in the field. And it prepares you, right? If you see that I had a problem with XYZ tool, but ABC tool fixed it, if you're going to get on the field and take on that job, you might get both of those tools to prepare yourself. Yeah, that was one of the cool things for me is I don't own the majority of the tools uh, that you guys brought, which was a ton. And it was great exposure to each different you know, set up, you know, they all run a little bit differently, have different features, can do different things, but to experiment with them, see, you know, which one you like, what each one can do based on the work that I'm doing and what's going to be best for me. I mean, <laughs> that, that alone is so valuable because, you know, I want to make the investment on something Well, I get to try it out. I get to see what it does, you know, which tool can do what, which interface, you know, that I like that, okay, this tool is really uh, easy to use, or maybe I don't like this one so much that that alone is really valuable. If you're going to make that investment in these tools. Yeah. A lot of guys ask us about uh, virtual learning and online classes, and we're going to get there, you know, we're developing material, uh, but as full-time instructors, I guess, and full-time jobs doing this mobile gig and, you know, family also being there, it's very difficult to do all of it at once, but before we get there, as we're getting inquiries about that, it's uh, it wouldn't be fair to, to get people on there. And we're going through 20 different tools on a board and they're sitting at home just kind of watching. You know, the exposure would be nice. I just don't think that they would get the most out of it yet. Uh, once we have things a little more prepared uh, to, to be a full virtual experience, it's going to be great. Um, but right now, like you said, if you can get out there and you try all these tools you've heard of and forums and and you might see a, uh, a case study that Mike talked about uh, and you see the tool that he used or the one that failed him and you're touching it and using it. It just makes you feel so much more comfortable. And then that's what did it for me. Uh, once I left his class, the very first time he held it, I had touched so all these tools I've read about and I knew exactly what I wanted to buy. And it gave me that push that I needed to take on jobs and make mistakes and try to troubleshoot them because be, before you actually get involved, there's a lot of fear behind it because you're not sure what's going to happen. So as you guys have, you know, you come into our class and we have a hundred modules for you guys to mess up. It, it makes you feel good walking away. 
Yeah. I mean, it was what, like a week or two after the course, I ended up running into the mini Cooper that had the footwell module that they disconnect the battery and it was out to launch, wouldn't communicate. And I'm like, Hey, <laughs> Mike and Pedro just talked about this. I know that it's possible to do this. And uh, if, you know, prior to that, I've been like, yeah, get a new module for it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, direct application there, but yeah, just hearing that it's possible. Here's the tools. Here's how we do it. Um, that that's huge, huge for technicians to walk away with that confidence. Yeah. A, a lot of us as technicians are hands-on learners. Uh, so it's very important uh, to, to, to use it that way. I think too, a, another thing about this class is uh, we learned shortcuts. For instance, we, we uh, as technicians over the last few years have run into uh, Ford changing the parameter reset on their body control modules from uh, a timed reset to uh, a coded reset. And it used to be there was an encode and outcode, and now that's done in the background but it requires a locksmith ID or a, a vehicle service professional credential and documentation from the customer. And that's not always practical for us as technicians. So what uh, we've, we've helped get developed uh, with, with one of our tools we teach on is a way to actually clone that, that body control module one-to-one. So when you're done, you plug in the clone module and it, it starts and runs the vehicle, the keys work, there's no TPMS relearn, CEI lock, none of that. It's just plug and play. Uh, it takes about 20 minutes to do, uh, and uh, compared to the hour and a half you spend doing it the Ford way, we've, we've now got a shortcut. It's not always like that, but in this case it is. Yeah, having a workaround I mean, shortcut definitely, but just another way to get the job done. Um, sometimes you need that, <laughs> you know, it'd be in a perfect world. Okay. We get a new module every time and it always works out perfect, but, and we all know we run into situations where something's obsolete or something's $2,000 or uh, two weeks out or, you know, and having that workaround, boy, that is, that is handy to be able to offer that to your customer. Oh, yeah. You know, even just the tool itself. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of stuff changing and, and the companies are, are fighting to keep up with a lot of things. But as I mentioned earlier, you could do everything right by the book and have a legitimate subscription by the factory interface uh, for, let's say, Ford. And you're going to run into issues. And, and I'm sure they're working hard on it. But at the end of the day, we're put up against the wall uh, where this shop's counting on us to get the job done. Um, and we have to have another backup plan if uh, the factory way is failing us at this time. Yep. I, I ran into that with a, a BCM a couple of weeks ago where the factory setup would not do it. And I have the factory tool for that vehicle and it just did not work for the programming yeah. option. So what do you, what do you do at that point? You have to find another way to get it done because I mean, if they would have went to the dealer, I imagine it'd probably be the same thing because I'm not using a different tool. Yeah. It's an aftermarket subscription, but I can't well, see it going any differently for them. No, no, either they'll keep the car for weeks or sometimes they actually turn away these older vehicles. Mm -hmm. It's something like older than 2010. They might, they might really, really be inclined to tell a customer, Hey, we're not working on those or 
whatever they see fit to keep, keep them out of trouble. But but I've heard of a lot of instances of that around me where they will not take on these older vehicles because they're familiar with the problems we're having. The softwares are very similar or the same. So they, they're very aware that uh, it's not working. Um, did you guys want to run through like some of the different topics in the course? I know we touched on a couple here, but uh, what are some of the main things that you cover during this? So uh, we cover the the memory types, like the EEPROM, uh, the embedded memory in the uh, microcontrollers, and the purposes of that memory, uh, ECU cloning, uh, EEPROM cloning. We talk about the hex data. So uh, a fun exercise is to uh, read a module uh, or read a microprocessor's uh, memory and then we'll open up in a hex editor and look at the code. And uh, in the Las Vegas class, uh, we kind of found uh, something interesting in the code. It, was it you that found that? Uh, it was uh, uh, Justin. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There was uh, some kind of comments about zombies in the uh, body control module, <laughs> and some creative engineer had just uh, written that in there. Uh, and that that was actually discovered earlier uh, by one of the the people that bought IO terminal from me, and uh, I said, "What? <laughs> What's that doing in there?" But uh, we we found it in the class. So uh, we so we do the memory. Uh, we talk about global A. We talk about the uh, you know the parameter resets on the Ford. Show workarounds for that. Um, we talk about one-time programming areas. So the reason you can't fully clone uh, a Volkswagen Audi controller, the 17 series, is because those have what's called one-time programming errors areas. And uh, those one-time programming areas cannot be changed. So you can copy them, but when you go to program them, it just skips. Uh, and so those areas remain the same. So I've had experiences where I've cloned uh, uh, an Audi computer, put it in the vehicle, the car won't start because that one-time programming area affects the immobilizer. And we teach we teach guys what tool you can use to fix that. Uh, and uh, also like the BMWs have the ISN code embedded and there are certain models of their ECUs you can't clone. You can't you can't mess with that ISN. It stays the same. We teach what tools can can uh, overcome that and make it so you can reuse that used ECU. Yeah, we definitely uh, try to focus on all of those solutions and and break it down. You know, as as we're getting into some details uh, of certain manufacturers, we go over some of these older Toyotas that. Uh, had the mobilizer system built into the engine controller and there was no obd functions uh so by gaining access to the memory device we can either uh, develop a key from the stored identification in the eprom or try to modify that data with a new key um, a lot of times i ran into this issue shortly after my first class uh, it was a shop calling me in a 2001 camry that they had ordered uh two or three uh re remanufactured engine controllers uh, from another state reputable rebuilder uh, from their online uh, presence and the customer specifically was telling the rebuilder 
uh, it's a non-immobilizer vehicle. And I'm sure you, you already imagine what I'm leading up to. Uh, they, they would get the modules and they would send them keys with it, which maybe it was just a habit that they had, the way they stockpiled everything. But the receipt, the invoice showed non-immobilizer. So we kind of discard the keys, put them aside, plug it in, and the car was an all-start. And, you know, with these older systems, sometimes they set a code, sometimes they don't. We didn't have an immobilizer light in this vehicle, so we didn't have a visual way of knowing, hey, it's immobilized. The module's not happy. There's even a plug missing on these non-immobilized Toyotas. Um, so after trying to troubleshoot a couple of things to determine was my car broken or was I immobilized, I was able to use one of the tools uh, in class, an AR32, to fix the problem right on the job site. Uh, there's a lot of help files in there and instructions on how to overcome some issues we run into that are common. And I was able to turn off the immobilizer in that, which is the designation that we should have had, uh, and the car fired right up. Uh, and a, that customer could have been fighting with that rebuilder for weeks, or they would have keep sending modules. And a lot of times these rebuilders, they're really good at what they do, but there's certain areas they might be lacking on and not understanding what we're asking for. A lot of them are more just focused on physically burnt drivers. Some of them go a little more in depth. Some of them don't look at the memory. There's a lot of things that uh, that can happen. So that customer, I was able to get the job done and they were happy that they could get back on the road. Uh, it was the only customer's car. So they really needed it back and, and having to wait for these uh, repo modules was very difficult for them. Yeah. Uh, when you're waiting for something in the mail from somewhere else, you uh, know what you're going to get. It's an eternity. <laughs> Oh, it definitely is. So, yeah, we try to get as real life as possible. And, you know, we, we talk about those uh, that example on Toyota's, how to look at their hex data uh, and a lot of other brands, too. Uh, there's some things that can be done with their numbers and even identifying pins. You know, it's getting usually you could have a buddy at a Chrysler dealer that might help you out with something. And then that's kind of gone away. Uh, so having an older Chrysler, having a way to uh, get the information you need to access that mobilizer system we talk about how you can identify that in the hex data. Yeah, there was a couple of locksmiths that attended this course too. So obviously it's valuable, you know, outside of our immediate industry. I know that they, they de there's definitely some crossover there, right? Between mobile programmers and locksmiths, but a couple of the guys with the class, that's all they did was keys. And this information is still going to benefit them learning the more, I guess, automotive oh, yeah. side. It, it and that's the thing that there's a, it, it's kind of a, we're in our own world here, kind of stuck between two places. A lot of the automotive uh, locksmiths, they're, they're amazing at what they do. They just have so many solutions to things, uh, but sometimes uh, they're not interested in the technical aspect of some things, right? They, they're just there. They want to get the job done and, and, and they keep, keep it moving. So being able to bridge that with technical information and uh, manipulating hex data and bringing all that together. Uh, is very, very cool. Uh, I really love that aspect of it, where we can kind of join forces with understanding how things work and fixing them from also resolving a lot of immobilizer issues. You know, we had uh, at our class in uh, the uh, California Bay Area, we had a BMW in, in the shop that uh, we took on as a project as part of our class, and it had had multiple DMEs. It had a... a a cast module ordered from the dealer and they still couldn't get it started. And so we, we hooked up different tooling to try and figure out what was going on. And we did, we discovered as a group 
that the the VIN was not correct in the CAS module. And when the uh, when the shop owner uh, researched it, he found that the customer that owned that car owned two of the same year make and model. And when they ordered by VIN, they ordered for the wrong car. And so they can't return this module. And uh, we had the old module. And I said, well, uh, if you can't return it, can we open it up and copy and paste that information so that the right information's in there? And they agreed to. And so that's what we did. We mapped it out. We figured it uh, out, soldered the points to the board, copied the original cast, pasted it to the replacement cast, and uh, we just had to get everything caught up with each other. Uh, and it, it had to, to uh, associate with the DME and then it started and ran, and it it clanked and clattered until the oil pressure got up. Uh, but then it ran smooth, and it had been sitting there for three years, waiting for a solution. Holy cow! Yeah, the the shop owner ended up buying this car from the customer because he he was struggling fixing it. So, you know, what better note for all these guys to leave on than here's this dead to the world car that we we brought back to life. That's awesome. Oh um, yeah, that, that that was very cool. <laughs> you know, everybody's eyes lit up, and it was just, <laughs> that, that. That's what you want from class, right? If we could have one of those in every class. That would be good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, a, a three year, three years there sitting. That's crazy. Um, yeah, that that's where the stuff can really shine. Is situations like that. Um, have you guys got any pushback for? Uh, using, uh, I'm going to use a, a term here that I heard recently, tools of questionable origin. <laughs> <laughs> um, personally, I have not. Um, I've seen stuff like that and, you know, we definitely can have a different opinion on, on things that are of a questionable origin, but focusing on, uh, on the EPROM stuff, I have not. I don't know if Mike has. But usually my techniques have been approached with uh, a lot of interest and positive views and, and as a solution. I don't know if you've been through uh, any different situations, Mike. I, I think there's, there's two lines of thought out there. Well, there's probably many, but the two main lines of thought is we've got a gentleman's club out there that does everything by the book, crosses their T's, dots their I's, and does thing every, everything the, the way that the OEMs wants them to be done. And then there's guys like us that uh, feel like the car is owned by the owner, the person that purchased it, and uh, they have the right to make the decision on how that's repaired. Yeah, there's comments on some of the uh, the groups and forums that we're involved with that uh, guys say, well, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. And there's been some comments out there like, you know, we're, we're supporting terrorism and, and all kinds of crazy things. But uh, in, in, in the United States, we do have right to repair and other laws that give us access to OEM. But we need to remember that in other markets like South America, uh, even somewhat in Canada and especially in Europe, this information is really hard to come by and OEM tools are really hard to come by. And so very entrepreneurial and, and smart 
engineers get together with technicians and they figure out solutions other than what the OEM has. And I don't see any problem with that at all. Uh, we're not um, we're not taking their information and uh, selling it. Uh, we're just basically taking the information or teaching people how to take information that's on their vehicle currently and putting it onto a donor unit, kind of like changing your hard drive on a, a laptop or a, a PC. Uh, so that's that's the way I look at it, and and hopefully it, you know that keeps us out of trouble. Yeah, I would I would totally agree with that too. As we're not we're not out there. Yeah, selling OEM information, black market, or stealing cars or anything like that. That's not the purpose of any of this stuff. It is again to meet our customers' needs, whether that's you know a shop or whatever it is. Let's let's get the car fixed, and you know we're gonna we're gonna find a way to do that. That's what we do, right? As technicians, is let's find a way to make this happen. It's always been my belief, and sometimes that's the OE route. That's the best route. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes uh, you got you to figure stuff out. But like we talked about before, even if you don't do that stuff, I think understanding this at a board level, um, there's another benefit outside of you know the actual module cloning or anything like that. So it, it's worth it either way in, in my perspective. No, that, that's... Uh, that's that's a good way to look at it. Um, a lot of interest has come to one of our classes that we're going to be offering in Chicago and uh, from a, a couple of big mobile companies. And one of the responses I gave them was, well, if you're interested in coming out, it, it would be a good idea. Come out and look at it. Maybe you'll decide this is something I never want to do. Or you might see one solution that we offer that's like, wow, we've been really struggling with it. This is exactly what we needed. Even though you've never cared for it and you always shy away from it, it could either enforce the fact that you have no interest in it or say, hey, this is actually not what I thought at all. And, and I can benefit from it greatly. Well, hey, on that note, what and where are your upcoming classes? Mike has uh, the exact uh, location of uh, the ones coming up on the East Coast. I keep forgetting the towns that they're in. So, so we have... Uh... Next week, we're in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's with Keith Perkins, is that correct? With with L1, yep. And uh, that's going to be on the 9th and 10th. We're going to be in Chicagoland the 12th and 13th. And then in June, so the 11th and 12th of June, we're going to be in Port Pleasant, New Jersey. And on uh, the 14th and 15th, we're going to be in uh, Colmar, Pennsylvania. So all over the place, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, we're probably going to squeeze in another uh, California uh, location. I'm still getting requests for California, even though we've already done three classes there. Yeah, yeah a lot of requests come in for uh the East coast. Uh, then we were slowly working our way there. We kind of had this, uh, unspoken agreement on, uh, kind of going from West to East and working our way through the country and then kind of, uh, starting over. So we're, we're definitely going to try that. And there's a lot of, uh, a lot of interest. So uh, we're trying to fill it, uh, as best as possible with two people. And, uh, we're looking to grow and, uh, 
uh, do our very best to keep everybody happy. Yeah, from what I've seen, uh, there's quite a bit of uh, interest and demand for this. So uh, I think you guys are, I think you guys got got something good here. Um, if somebody does want to attend one of these classes at one of these locations, how how do they get a hold of you? How do they sign up? And if there's like a specific email, what I'll do is put it in the show notes for this episode. But who do they contact? Either Pedro or myself. Uh, my email is M-I-K-L-E-C-99 at MSN.com. And Pedro can tell you his. Yeah, it's uh, Pedro, P-E-D-R-O, at Logic Auto LLC.com. Uh, you know, drop us a line or if you find us on Facebook, uh, you can shoot us a message uh, and we do our very best to respond. We'll send you a registration form, get everything processed. And uh, I usually try to uh, have a quick discussion with people, what area they're in and kind of feel them out and uh, advise them on something that might be coming up close to them or try to get them uh, into a class that's going to be uh, happening very soon. So um, anybody that's interested, reach out to us and uh, we'll do our very best to get you signed up right away and get you moving so you can get on board with all this. Yeah. And again, I'll put those um, those emails in the show notes. So anybody listening, you can just scroll down and uh, click the email or click the link and you should be good to go. Well, you guys got anything else you want to touch on? No, I think we're good here. Um. No, I think everything, uh, we discussed a lot of the stuff that we have going on and I'm sure more things will change, uh, as, as we keep growing and, and then doing more, but, uh, I really do appreciate having us on here. It, it gives us the opportunity to share insight, uh, from the things that we're doing, maybe with people that have been skeptical about coming in. Uh, hopefully we covered on things that have questions on, or if there's something we brought up on the show, but we didn't elaborate enough again, they can, they also should uh, email us, get in contact with us, and I'd be happy to discuss anything with them. Uh, maybe, they, you know, something that we're going to try to do as coming into class is talk to people. As you're walking into this class, what uh, what was a goal that you had or something that you were really striving to learn coming in? And, and we want to interview each student before they come in so we can touch on that, that everybody that comes into this class, they want to learn a certain skill set, a certain brand solution, we want to touch on that subject at least. Then when they walk out, uh, you know, we gave them the best uh, out of the class possible. All right. That's going to do it for today's episode. just want to give one more big thank you to Mike and Pedro for joining me on the show today. Really appreciate it. And I encourage anyone who's listening, if you're at all interested in taking this class, uh, check out the show notes. The links are in there so that you can find it. Um, but just on a personal level, um, I, I really gained something from this course. So I'd recommend it to anybody that's interested uh, in this side of the automotive world. But other than that, let's get out there, start fixing the world one car at a time.